Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. With us from the Weekly Standard is Fred Barnes. And Fred, before we talk about the campaign season we're looking at for this fall, as you and I are speaking, word is breaking that apparently another American has been executed by ISIS. Does it tell us anything about how President Obama is viewed by our enemies that yet another American has apparently been executed? Well, I think our enemies uh, view this as an execution that they've done uh, with impunity. Uh, Obama doesn't have a strategy, as he says. The White House has tried to said, well, he really does have a strategy, but it's a long-term, you know, you've heard all that double talk. The truth is, uh, he doesn't have a strategy, but he really doesn't have the will. And that's what a president has to have, a will to protect Americans uh, around the world, among other things. It's not just geopolitical. You know, the, one thing Obama has said uh, from the moment he became president is that the number one task of an American president is the security and safety of the American people. Well, he's not living up to that. You know, it's interesting you have the American embassy in Tripoli overrun and the video of the uh, al-Qaeda guys actually swimming in our pool. And, of course, mm-hmm. you have tanks now inside uh, Ukraine, and Ukraine's having to fight a defensive war now. And I understand the argument that if you look at the individual policies, et cetera, they don't all, you know, it's not a linear connection. But it seems to me, Fred, that these they do failure breeds more failure. I guess, in other words, mm-hmm. when you see weakness in one spot, it seems to inspire your enemies to act in another. Of course, it does, and uh, but it also fits in with Obama's policy. Obama's policy is for the U.S. to retreat around the world. The U.S. as an influence, the U.S. as uh, the number one superpower in the world. Uh, the United States is a company that can project military power and economic power, can keep the sea lanes open, uh, can protect democracies, can prevent wars, can prevent invasions. This is the role that the United States has had since World War II. It's a very altruistic role because uh, we fought in wars where the U.S. did not have a huge national interest. Vietnam was one. South Korea was one. We had some interest, but not a huge national interest. And uh, Obama's rejected all of that. This is a huge, historic, pivotal change in America to see uh, American power withdrawn all around the world. And believe me, uh, we see that our enemies recognize this immediately. A vacuum's been created, and they're filling it. You know, Fred, which brings us to the Senate races, and uh, there's a lot of talk about where the poll numbers are, and I've seen some articles saying the Republicans just don't have the winning candidates and the winning states they need. They're too close, mm-hmm. et cetera. But before we get to individual races, yep. it seems to me that if this kind of chaos, hand off the till, you know, the the wheel, it's not the wheels of the bus are flying off, that that would simply feed Republican and Republican-leading independent turnout and suppress Democratic turnout by itself. Do you think that this kind of foreign policy climate of, of uh, incompetence and chaos is going to have an impact in November? I think it will. I think it will uh, encourage the kind of turnout you're talking about, Republicans and independents and conservatives. I would say, on the other hand, that Democrats have an enormous amount of money. Both the Senate and the House campaign committees for the Democrats have outraised Republicans. They have plenty of almost every one of their in every close House and Senate race. The Democrat has himself or herself raised more money than the Republican challenger. 
Uh, and that, and the Democrats do have a turnout machine that is pretty sophisticated and works. So, um, I, I, I think it, we're going to see a very strong, uh, Republican turnout, but, uh, Democrats are going to be able to get their voters out in a way that they probably haven't been able to get out in midterm elections before. So if you, uh, by the conventional wisdom, it looks like Republicans have three guaranteed pickups in open seats for the U.S. Senate. And so that's going to leave control of the Senate mm-hmm. to come down to a handful of seats where they have to, U.S. Senate races where they have to beat incumbents. Uh, yep. North Carolina, southern state, Relains Republican. Arkansas, I mean, uh, Alaska, another southern state, Relains Republican. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then um, well, Louisiana, Louisiana. The same thing, a Republican state, governor, legislature, Alaska. Same thing, Republican uh, legislature, Republican governor, and uh, Republicans just have not, I think in the last, uh, in uh, recent elections, when they've been successful, they've knocked off two Democratic incumbents, nothing like the 12 who were beaten in 1980 in the Reagan landslide. Um, And many of those were unexpected. And that's the thing to remember. Uh, Nobody, I mean, nobody expected Republicans who had 39 seats going into the 1980 election to wind up uh, controlling the Senate, uh, and they did. Uh, and that's why when you look at this notion, pretty widespread now, uh, and I'll have to say it, it's worried me a little, uh, answering the question, where's the wave? Where's this Republican wave? We see uh, the, the economy's not doing that well. Obama's numbers are down. Uh, Democratic candidates are embattled and so on. And uh, uh, But where's the wave? Well, waves actually manifest themselves later, I believe. Uh, we're past Labor Day now, and when the campaign will really heat up and people will start thinking about who, about who they're going to vote for. And uh, if there's going to be a wave, we'll start to see it. Uh, probably in late September in poll numbers, and um, but uh, just because we haven't seen that happen in all these races that we mentioned, where Republicans need to knock off Democratic incumbents, Alaska, North Carolina, Arkansas, uh, Louisiana, all those races are tied uh, basically within the margin of error in, in every poll I've seen. Uh, if there's going to be a wave, some of those races will open up, will begin to open up, and maybe Colorado and Michigan and and several others as well. Uh, well, let's focus on Arkansas. Let's focus on Arkansas for a second because sure. I know that you've been out there. And it seems it seems to me that you could just run one ad over and over again in Arkansas, which would be uh, a vote for Mark Pryor is a vote for Harry Reid and Barack Obama. Bye. Mm-hmm. And then you, do, and you just stop. You just drop the mic and you say, I'm done. Is, is, is a Democrat really able to, to make the argument in Arkansas where the president's so unpopular, send me back to work with the president again? Well, they don't, uh, Michael, they don't put it quite that way. You know, I mean, uh, just to shift to another race in North Carolina and in Georgia where Michelle Nunn is trying to win a Republican seat, you see uh, these Democrats are, are really independent-minded and they want to get the, uh, the Congress and, and the Senate in particular because, because they want to solve problems. And they're going to be bipartisan. Uh, <laughs> this is their line. It's not that, and, and it's a similar line with uh, Mark Pryor back in Washington. Uh, but, and, and the line used against him by Tom Cotton, and I've heard his stump speech a number of times, is, uh, look, if you want Obama uh, and everything that Obama does, uh, here you have Mark Pryor, a guy who's voted with him 93% of the time. Uh, and... And that's the line. But, you know, Mark Pryor, his father was a senator, very popular. Mark Pryor is not, uh, is not somebody who is uh, uh, 
an ugly Democrat who is uh, mean and so on. He doesn't have Harry Reid's personality, for instance, uh, and is a likable guy. He's got a, one of his ads is how much the Bible means to him and so on. So uh, he, he can still be hard to beat. You know, I mean, the uh, Democrats controlled Arkansas. Uh, for many, many years after other states like Virginia and Georgia and Alabama and so on turned Republican, uh, they've begun to turn Republican now. They have the legislature. They'll probably win the governorship. Mark Pryor is the last Democrat standing. If they beat him, uh, Arkansas will be a Republican state probably uh, for years to come. And uh, uh, Bill Clinton shows up to raise money, but he has no influence there anymore. Uh, what about the other uh, southern states uh, mm-hmm. like Louisiana and, and North Carolina? I mean, as a guy who grew up in the South and has seen how Republican the South has become, I've been surprised that those races are tight. I would have assumed that at this point, because the president's just so unpopular and because mm-hmm. it's hard to point at any upside, what can you say to the people of North Carolina and Louisiana, particularly an energy state like Louisiana? Mm-hmm. What can you possibly say? It, 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 so wh- why do you think it is that they still remain so tight? Is it just purely the power of the money? Well, it's the power of the money. It's the power of the name. I mean, look at um, Mary Landrieu in Louisiana. She has a, a very popular name. Her her uh, both her, her brother is now mayor of New Orleans. Her father, Moon Landrieu, was a mayor of New Orleans, was a cabinet member in a Democratic administration in Washington, and and so on. She has plenty, raised plenty of money, and she's a champion of of energy development. I mean, it, it, it doesn't get her anywhere with Obama. She has no influence there, and she's with the Keystone Pipeline, and that's basically her pitch. Uh, but it's a state that's just become a lot more Republican, and I think John Cassidy, the, uh, the Republican, uh, rather Bill Cassidy, the Republican House member who's running, will probably beat her. He's run slightly ahead of her, you know, about two or three points inside the margin of error, but yet consistently ahead of her. Of her. So I think he can win that. North Carolina is a different case. North Carolina is more of a purple state. Remember, Obama won it in 2008. He lost it in 2012, both by narrow margins and the uh, outside uh, Democratic groups, uh, the super PACs, have spent an enormous amount of money. Uh, you know, it's not just the Koch brothers for the Republicans that are spending the money. They're, I mean, Harry Reid's Senate Majority PAC has spent millions and millions of dollars, including in North Carolina, and uh, that, that in particular has propped up their candidates. In Arkansas, uh, they spent millions attacking Tom Cotton, the Republican candidate for Senate, and that really uh, uh, reduced his numbers for a bit. He's recovered slightly ahead in polls. Uh, but Democratic money plays a role here in propping up these Democratic incumbents, no question about it. One last question for you. Give me the Republicans, the state that the Republicans ought to win that you're the most nervous about, and then give me the state where the Republicans don't have much of a chance that you're thinking in the back of your mind, you know what, I wouldn't be surprised if on Election Day the GOP doesn't carry that. Well, one of the states uh, that Harry Reid has spent the most money in is Alaska. Alaska is overwhelmingly Republican, uh, and uh, it has a, a good candidate, Dan Sullivan, running against Mark Begich, who's a, a Democrat who was only elected to the Senate because uh, Ted Stevens had been indicted. Uh, his indictment was overturned because of prosecutorial uh, uh, wrongdoing. But, of course, uh, Ted Stevens, by then, he lost the election and it died in a plane wreck, actually. So uh, Mark Baggage is uh, a, le- a very lucky guy, but uh, he's uh, run a good campaign. You know, people who I respect, not conservatives, but just political analysts I respect, I believe his campaign is one of the best ones that's run by any Democrat. So 
Dan Sullivan's going to really, who had been the attorney general there and he'd been the head of national resources in Alaska, is really going to have to run a great campaign. Remember, it was a late primary. He just won. The one where I think that is, it is incredibly interesting is Scott Brown running in New Hampshire. Scott Brown, uh, you know, they've tried to uh, call him a carpetbagger, and of course he is from Massachusetts, where he'd been a senator for a couple of years. Uh, but he's picked up. He's a good candidate. You know, he was not a great senator in Washington, not particularly conservative, so more of a moderate, but is a very good campaigner. Jean Shaheen is not a strong candidate. Uh, I mean, she won in uh, in 2000. Um, when did she win? 2008 in Obama's year, uh, and. Uh, she's beatable. Everybody has sort of said, well, you know, Scott Brown, he'll never do that well. He was trailing. All of a sudden, he's within the margin of error in a poll. So I say watch that one. New Hampshire could be the, a big surprise, and Scott Brown could be back in Washington. Fred Barnes, thanks so much for joining us for the Weekly Standard Podcast. As always, I enjoyed it. Bye-bye. Thank you. This has been the Weekly Standard Podcast. Please be sure to check weeklystandard.com regularly for podcast updates. I'm your host, Michael Graham.